Initiating internet sequence. Internet sequence complete. Oh, hey gang, and welcome to Seize the Memes, the digital art instruction series that encourages you to reject any and all art instruction. Seriously. I'm Teenage Stepdad, a balding middle-aged man who creates art under an internet pseudonym. You have a computer in your pocket, and that's not just a tool of consumption. It can be a tool of creation, even if all you make is dumb, weird, stupid bullshit. This is Seize the Memes. I will say you're our first guest. You're our first guest from Tucson. <laughs> first gay <Gaced>. guest. <laughs> first gay guest from Tucson. I'm the first one. Yeah, um, it's not a it's not a, a big uh, I don't know. Yeah, we're we're a small little borough out here. So that dude Jojo was a man from Tucson, Arizona. That's Who? right. Jojo, Jojo was a man the, from Tucson. From the, from the Beatles song. Okay. Yeah, this is a Beatles podcast. It has been since its inception. I guess the so. Beatles songs "Smoke Crack," right? Smoke Crack. Yeah. Smoke Crack. Um, That's it. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, welcome back to another episode of You Went Down on a Podcast. Today we have very, very special guest, someone we've wanted to talk to you for a long time. Uh, teenage stepdad. I, I almost doxed you. I didn't know if you want me to say your real name. No, te- teenage is fine. <laughs> Stepdad's fine. Um, but yeah, I. Uh, it, it's actually yeah, yeah. I'm fine with uh, maintaining some level of uh, anonymity. Uh, Absolutely. I figured as somebody, you know, per, that wants to protect their corporate assets from scammers and hackers, you know, you need <laughs> oh, to yeah. stay under the radar, you know, to hide my, the, the mega millions. <laughs> my, uh, yeah, my pen name is sort of a firewall is, mm-hmm. is how I look at yeah. it. So it's important to do. You get you the could, pin name, you get the Swiss bank account. You're covered on both areas. That's how it goes. Oh yeah, Absolutely. Gotta offshore um, it. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, we didn't want to put put on blast your relationship with Deutsche Bank, but you know. <laughs> well, this episode nice is sponsored drop, by yeah. Deutsche Bank. I like the so Deutsche Bank. We're very happy to have their sponsorship uh, for this episode. They loaned us a couple million dollars uh, to do the podcast. So, yeah, they were looking for new people to uh, <laughs> new young faces, uh, new investors. They're trying to they're trying to rebrand uh, you know, a little bit. <laughs> they had an opening. <laughs> Join Deutsche um, Bank today with promo code YWDAP to save 10%. And on, if you say teenage stepdad sent you, right? They uh they start a 401k for you yes. like I've been a little court- bit ahead. I've been courting all these uh, big bank endorsements. Uh haven't been getting a lot of callbacks on it, but it'd be re- really nice. Yeah, they're kind of, it's more mm-hmm. of a will call you situation uh from them. They're like, yeah, well don't yeah, don't call saw, us, we'll call you. I saw Netflix's Wells Fargo documentary, and they just they stole a bunch of your content. They're just pumping into into the uh, the documentary yeah. un- unknown. I was like, teenage stepdad, Wells Fargo. Hmm. Hey, wait, really? No, 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 no. I'm oh, just. Okay. I'm. I'm a. Uh, well, it, Jeff, it's all believable. Jeff sarcastic. It's, ha- it's happened. It's happened to me on a, a few documentaries now. So I was like, oh, really? Is that? Is Dude, that I was true? Say, mm. I was gonna say. Well, I know about the famous, the first one because I remember watching the Netflix Firefest doc and seeing your work and being like, oh shit. Oh my Of course, God. they didn't pay him for this. But also, like all of the um, all the documentaries about like like Russia gate and like propaganda and people like using memes. Like 
I've actually seen your shit pop up maybe like five times this year on like yeah, HBO. It was, there, yeah, there was one on that QAnon documentary that was pretty funny oh, to shit. see because I, I was excited to see that because it's so such an interesting subject. And, you know, when you and then all of a sudden you're seeing this thing that you're without any prior notice, you see something that you created in this thing that you've been anticipating. You kind of have a little bit of a psychotic episode where you're oh like, my God. Yeah. Or like, am I, <laughs> am, am I having a delusional thing going on here or something? Yeah. But, but yeah, I, I, yeah, it just flashed for a second. It, it's just weird, you know, but do you ever feel like, uh, like a little bit like all like, uh, Lars Ulrich in 1999, Oh, like. very litigious and just going after everybody. Mountain <laughs> like, team against yeah. these documentaries. I made this. Yeah. this is mine, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I was, uh, you know, obviously a meme doesn't become a meme until people share it. And it's like, I've never really given a shit about credit. But when it when it's, uh, I do think when it's like a major network or a major production company, I think that Firefest doc was made by the fuck Jerry for, folks, of yes, course. So there was. was, you know, it was just slipped in there. In those cases, it would be nice to get a word from people. You know, it's like, it's not like my shit doesn't have my name on it. So, but you know, it, it, it is pretty cool to, uh, to see it even regardless. Yeah. I mean, it's the true nature of a meme. Like we all, we've been making memes online, but really what we make aren't even actually memes unless they go like viral because technically a meme isn't a meme until it's everywhere. Yeah. Like if exactly. I make a meme and post it and nobody reshares it, is it really a meme or is it just like, you know, digital art that exists right. in one place that never went anywhere? Like when you're talking memetics or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that's the beauty of memes too, is that like everybody's definition of it is kind of different. You know, like I consider the stuff that I make memes and they're not exactly, um, you know, some of them could go around the net a few times, but a lot of them are just really just made primarily as pieces of digital art. And of course, so I don't know. I think I think that's a cool thing about memes is that it's like I think that the creator gets to define what it is rather than the 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 culture, you know. Mm-hmm. That's kind of my interpretation of it. It's like punk rock. It's like uh like Richard Dawkins is going to come on Instagram and be like, "Y'all are fucking posers. These aren't memes." Like, <laughs> don't call this meme. Call it like third wave some shit, you know. He turns yeah. into like a like a a music um genre like split like uh you know splitting hairs or whatever <laughs> yeah and you, you know the the people who have the most opinions about what a meme is or isn't are people who've never made them so it's like yeah right whoever consumes them yeah dude i i would uh 100 pay money to like go to a ted talk over like an early viral star that had no control over it that actually like lived true like truly what a meme was like to like go to a TED talk of like, I don't know, the chocolate rain guy or something and listen to him talk for like two hours about it, <laughs> about like what memes really are. <laughs> oh, totally. Fucking sick. I need, we need to like set that panel up. Like I need to talk to the people that set up the, uh, museum of moving images, like meme thing with uh, <laughs> yeah. your meme and be like, we need the chocolate rain guy. How much money do you guys have for me right. to like do this? <laughs> Honorarium for Taze on day. If you guys really like art, let's let's go in. Yeah, um, for sure. I don't know. I'll have to do some digging. I'll find him and like the Manuma guys' fucking personal emails. Um, New Manuma. Yeah. Um, <laughs> him, those two, know. and the Star Wars kid for uh, 
Oh, big dude. A three-way well, panel. We'll get the Star Wars kid, and we'll get Michael Sarah, who like parodied the Star Wars kid for Arrested Development. We'll have them like sit next to each other <laughs> and like do a do a talk about how that experience changed both of their lives. You know. <laughs> Hope the Star Wars kid's cool. doing okay. I was at the uh, sure Star Wars. There's kids. new Star Wars. Sotheby's auction, socially distanced, not too long ago. It's quite good. What? I made a couple of bids. For yeah. for oh, yeah. what? Some um, NFTs. Yeah. It was uh it was an in-person NFT auction of the Star Wars kid stuff. It was pretty good. I mean, it was one of those things <laughs> where like if you're if you're like really into like the lore and stuff and like you know, you've been following it for a while, you've only been like seeing it, you know, URL, but seeing it IRL. It's pretty great. Yeah, wow. and there's something there's something about you know bringing this meme internet culture to the black turtleneck set at Sotheby's. You know, it's like it yeah. legitimizes <laughs> what a lot of us are doing. You know, <laughs> gives purpose yeah. to all our lives. You know, exactly. And it's so good that you can look at that and you can buy like you know some some like large gemstones or uh, some like some paintings to hang inside of like your storage locker. Uh huh. Um, so it was nice. It was nice. Great money laundering opportunity. Yeah. This point actually is coming to something I wanted to talk about. Uh, you sent us like a early uh, some footage from your new show that you're releasing on Means TV on uh, June six six nine June ninth. Yeah, six nine. Okay. Yeah, definitely fuck that up with some uh, <laughs> some dyslexia, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we announced we announced it on 420, and it's going to launch on 6.9, and I figure that's kind of the way it had to be. Hell yeah. So. But even in in what the footage that I saw, you did touch briefly upon this, about how, like, pretty soon, and it's already happening, how, like, the art world and corporate America and capitalism is, like, co-opting the meme movement, obviously, as anything gains popularity and traction and becomes, like, a household, everyday thing that spans, like niche internet people to everyday normies like fucking boomers or whatever Mm -hmm. um there's gonna be like capital to be made off of it and what i love about the show or the the tease that i saw of it is like giving people that knowledge and giving them the tools to do it themselves and kind of like break the system from within like you're like instagram sucks facebook sucks like all these channels that are like these networks put together by like multi-billion dollar corporations that are profiting Profit. off of us. Like, you know, the user is the product basically. And you're kind of like teaching people how to like use these tools to like take the system down from within. And, you know, obviously on means TV, you're very anti-corporate, very worker uh, oriented union, like fucking artists deserve all the credit. And like, I love that aspect and how like you're, using this medium that you've been working on to like give people this knowledge to like break free of the chains of bullshit social media. Yeah. And I, I think even like, even like more kind of like a, a smaller view of it than that even is like the show's kind of made in a like kind of nineties PBS art instruction, like the elevator pitch is like Bob Ross, but with memes, right? Cause people can understand that, mm-hmm. but it's really about using that format to hopefully get people excited to, um, participate in, uh, making their own media, like, uh, and hopefully kind of dispel some 
mystery about what design and art is all about, you know, and just like get people stoked to kind of make their own shit. I really, I had no interest in saying, like doing a tutorial, like follow along type of a thing. The idea was really to kind of uh, get people stoked to see what they could make and just kind of democratize design because it's such like I was like we were talking about the Sotheby's shit. It's Mm -hmm. like this, such this ivory tower fucking thing. There's another episode. um, The one I sent you was about memes or digital graffiti. There's another episode that really talks about this too, called fuck modernism that just talks about how design is like the, the, the design that we see every day is made by these design school grads and people with vastly different backgrounds than the people that are making memes. You know, memes are made by poor and working class people. It's an art movement that's led by trans people and people of color. You know, it's, it's about the thing that excites me about the culture of memes is that it's, there's so many different um, backgrounds of the creators and they get this chance to have their fucking voices heard by millions of people just by sheer brute force, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, So uh, that's really what I've loved about the culture. That's what I wanted to share in the show. And um, so, yeah, it's like Bob, you know, Bob Ross, but memes was the elevator pitch, but hopefully it's um, subverting that format, just like we're subverting the platforms and stuff into something kind of weirder and broader. And um, yeah, it's been, it's been a trip. Actually, the room I'm in right now is the room that I recorded it in. And now it's a bedroom again. (laughs) And it's been, it's been a really weird, um, way too, way, way too much time putting this fucking thing together. So you filmed it in your, in your house or in your, uh, Uh, I'm actually in my neighbor's house right now. Um, cause at my house it's like, uh, 700 square feet with two kids. Uh Um, so, uh, yeah, he, he had a spare bedroom and with COVID it wasn't like he was going to be getting a lot of visitors. Sure. Um, so he, he let me take over this room for, I think I I think I did the first shot in October and, uh, you know, shot for a couple months and then edited for a couple months back at my place. Um, and now it's like, I think actually I have some final renders running right now. Um, and then other than that, they're going to do some audio mastering and get this fucker out there. So awesome. Yeah. I've been, uh, I've been keeping an eye on like your teasing, teasing it like throughout starting the process. Like I feel like the first, time I saw was like, you know, we're Facebook friends. I saw like a Facebook, like I rarely go on Facebook every now and then I'll open it. So like something big that got a bunch of likes, like an announcement someone made is usually like at the top, like most recent. And I think I happened to open it like the week you were like, I'm working finally, uh, like working on this thing. So I've been like keeping an eye on the process and the progress and like back of my head, like as soon as an announcement comes out, I got to hit him up to talk on the pod about this. Cause like, I want to know, what's up with it and after seeing the trailer i was like dude this is great because like you were saying like you're using a format to subvert people based on nostalgia with like a bob ross like elevator pitch like you're like i'm gonna sell it like this so people like recognize and like you know have the nostalgic factor and they're hooked in but i'm only using that format to subvert to get my real message across, which is all memes are is just like repackaging formats. So it's like, honestly brilliant. And you know, Bob Ross has been fucking popping off. It's definitely having a moment in the resurgence of culture. So it's the perfect timing. I hope it, I I hope that people find it to be 
like kind of new and like nothing that they've ever seen, but also have that kind of familiar tone and that comfortable tone. Like for me, I think that's why in my work I deal in like the eighties, late eighties, nineties, sort of like graphic arts and stuff. And the reason I do that is because for me, it's very comforting, um, Mm -hmm. like familiar because I'm old as shit. And that's like when I was a kid. (laughs) Um, but, but like, yeah, I hope so. I think I, it's it's a weird show because it's super goofy, but at the same time, it's really like sincere. Um, it's um, I'm trying to be like pretty honest about who I am, but I'm also putting on this artifice with this fucking terrible mustache of like <laughs> this uh, like this '70s kind of fucking dad aesthetic. Um, and you know, it's scripted. It's also unscripted. It's just it's a lot of a lot of different contrasts in it, but I I hope that familiarity comes through and that kind of um, comforting formula and stuff. But I was curious about um, that, the the aesthetic, which is so strong in all of your stuff. It's like very high quality, you know, a lot of, there's a big spectrum of, of online meme content, art, digital art. Some, some of the humor sometimes comes from it being so lo-fi that it's funny. And then some of the time it's funny because they're so, high quality. It's like so much effort was put in. So I just wanted to know what you thought about like that late eighties, early nineties aesthetic. Cause I was born in the early nineties. So I remember that very subconsciously. I remember that being around subconsciously, but it was kind of right before my time. So mm-hmm. I, people, my age, I feel like are kind of like, I, I always, I always kind of assume that people are kind of fascinated by the era that came right before they were born because it it seems almost mythological but it was almost familiar to them that's how i feel mm-hmm. at least about that time period but we're getting to the point where a lot of the like online users gen z were born after 2000 2001 and it's they're even more distant from that format but you're right there's something so warm and inviting about it it's like it's just very i don't know, appealing so when the the further you move away from that time period, do you have? I wonder. I was just wondering how you feel about uh, keeping that form, that kind of style of design alive. I uh, yeah, I, and, and for me, part of it is um, kind of keeping that style of design alive. That the stuff that was made before Photoshop, the stuff that was yeah. made before digital design. I, I I've had the pleasure to work in print mm. um, in my long history of working all sorts of fucking jobs. And that was a really cool one because I got to work uh, side by side with a lot of these design old timers who oh, yeah. would teach me how it was done in the days when they were doing paste ups on paper with yeah. transfer letters and tapes and and um and and for me like if I'm being completely honest like around that time period where a lot of my work is set in um, I experienced great loss mm. and I think for me setting getting back in that world for me provides like a real like hard to describe comfort Mm. of 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 stuff that i uh when time when life was simpler and kind of made more sense to me sure um and i think but i think um just generally i think that you know you're talking about a younger generation that responds to this sort of work that may not have firsthand experience of it to me it makes perfect sense because you know, I talk a lot about this in the show. Um, the design that we're familiar with in the media and the culture right now, this, this modernist, 
gradient background with a sans serif font mm-hmm. on it is people are really tired of that. Mm-hmm. It, 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 and, and not only that, it, it doesn't reflect who we are as people, you know, like life is diverse and messy and design that like relishes in texture and busyness, um, reflects more of who we are, you know, at our core. I mean, there are people out there that I'm sure love the modern design because they, you know, live in a fucking Dieter Rams style house, you know, and like their life is like that. And I get that. That's cool that they have that design, but that shouldn't be fucking thrust on all of us. Sure. I mean, we should have visual, um, representation in our everyday encounters with art and design. So I think that that's like, as you're scrolling through a feed and it's these kind of infographics sort of things, Mm -hmm. and then you see something that I made, it's like, Oh, you know, this is why people go thrifting. You know, this is like why people respond to that shit because it's so removed from the world we live in now. And it kind of in, I don't know, maybe people just miss that. And they think that that's kind of a, a better take on how to build a a thing, uh, a thing, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. It's like, I think, I think, I I think that this era of design of pre-computer design, I think people will always be kind of yearning for that, you know? And I also print print gets less and less common in real life. Print as an aesthetic, I think just in a general sense will be its own. It's like, it's like film now, you know, it's like barely anyone shoots on film, it, but you try, you still add a fi- a filter, you know, people will add like a film or a VHS filter to stuff that was totally shot on like an Alexa or something. Yeah. I was also going to say yeah. like the era that you're like, you know, paying tribute to and like, it's like a heavy nostalgia era and, you know, late 80s, early 90s aesthetic. It's like, that's when like VHS was really coming into its own and people were actually able to like own media Like, you know, they didn't have to wait. Like, I remember my parents telling me it's like when they were kids, The Wizard of Oz played one day a year on, like, TV, on, like, one of the major networks. And families would wait every year to watch it. Like, you couldn't go back to, like, watch a scene that was great until a year later. You know what I mean? Like, you couldn't record at home. So, like, the era of, like, fetishizing, like, owning physical media that's digital and being able to like rewind and play it over. And then the tape kind of like gets fucked up and adds a layer to like your version of it. That's only your version of it. You know, it's really interesting. And I feel like people, and that's kind of why like that nineties aesthetic is coming back now. Like besides the 20 year, like cyclical trend thing that happens to everything or whatever. It's like Mm -hmm. on top of that, hitting like the perfect thing where like kids now are like, I have all this media like at my fingertips 24 seven, like, you know, you always get nostalgic for the generation before as if you had that growing up, even though you didn't, because most mm-hmm. of the media you watched as a kid, it like represents that, like portrays things that way. So they're, they're like desperately trying to act cooler than their generation by like emulating the nineties kids. And like the fact that that was the first touchstone of people you know and like cds like like they had the eight track and cds blew up in the 90s just like being able to own the shit you loved is like oh yeah really impactful for that time mm-hmm. you know i was born in the late 80s so like 90s like all the shit i consumed was like 
early 90s, late to mid 80s media. So as a kid, I like, in my memory of nostalgia, I've like attached like my child-like self to that. So like revisiting that stuff reminds me of like being a child and being like carefree and just like absorbing art and shit like that. You know, that's why when I see like a fucking, like I'll watch like the Muppet Babies intro and be like, instantly calmed and be like, feel like a fucking four-year-old, you know, it's, it's really weird how that shit works psychologically. Put on the adult diaper and everything. Dude. I mean, the Muppet Babies theme kind of goes off. I don't know. I don't know if you guys were Muppet Babies heads, but. (laughs) Oh, huge Muppet Babies fan. Hats off to Jim Henson, you know, made it happen. I've, I've shared, I've shared my love of Muppet Babies with my own kids, uh, but now they have a new CGI one. Uh So. They're doing that yeah. with all the old the cart- uh, cartoons I remember as a kid. They're doing it with SpongeBob. They're doing it. They They're did done it, with 2D uh, animation. Like that'll be back in 10 years. Like the 2D. So. Yeah, it yeah. will. It will. Yeah, it, it is weird seeing the new generations like like you know, I have kids and like their relationship with media is so far removed from mm-hmm. my own like where they have no cons, like if the internet goes out, Jesus Christ, oh my God. like they're like, uh, <laughs> they're like, why I want to play that thing that I always able to play whenever I want. I'm like, well, you're going to have to wait five minutes, like five minutes <laughs> In to the- watch whatever I want. Three I know, years. They're going to be like, dad, is your Instagram down too? I'm trying to figure out if it's just <laughs> <Yeah>. me. <laughs> See, that's the real reason to preserve physical media. It's a contingency plan for your children. Mm. That's the real yeah. So I, I, I've been trying to pass it along to them. We, we, we go to the video store quite often. In fact, one of the episodes, I do a tour, like a design inspiration tour of our local video store. Nice. And um, it's really cool that I get to pass that along to my kids. You know, it's a little different now. Like, they don't have a free bin of posters that they can grab of, like, terrible horror movies and action movies to plaster all over their walls, which was kind of my experience. But for them to have a relationship with physical media is valuable, you know, because like every nowadays, everything is just so based on what you see on the screen. Mm -hmm. And that's the, if we're going to talk about the design aspect of like a video store versus a, you know, an algorithm derived thumbnail feed Mm -hmm. that you get from these streaming platforms and shit. It's like, I think about that a lot, you know, like I think part of the reason the, the design from that era was so great is that they were taking like a really schlocky, terrible movie and to get people to rent it, you got to make it look as cool as shit. You got to make it like jump off that shelf when there's 20 other things on there. Yep. And so they had great illustrators. They had really great typographers and people who do great type treatments and just great all around design because because uh, that was their thing. And they put out one product for everybody. And now it's like, you know, based on what you like and what you don't like, they'll change the thumbnail image and shit. I, uh, that's how I found, uh, that's how I found like Mallrats when I was like 11, like in Blockbuster Video, like the art for the Mallrats VHS was fucking awesome. Like they did it like a comic book. Like, you know, they had like the... Uh, the magic image where you can like, you know, it's part of the movie, like see the image in oh, the in, magic ideal. Yeah. So like, you know, I found some, like, you know, it, that really strikes a chord with me as a kid that grew up, like riding my bike, like in the suburbs, like after school to blockbuster 
when I was like 10 years old looking through like the used VHSs that were like $3 and them selling me rated R movies as like a 10 year old. Oh, totally. And like, yeah, that's the other part of it too. Opening the door to like seeing all kinds of art that my parents wouldn't let me like, you know, like now it's like (laughs) they put like a fucking parent block on the computer and you can't see shit. But like, if you go to like the 17 year old that's working at blockbuster video, they're going to be like, Oh, you want to see more rats here? Sure. 10 bucks. Oh, totally. You own it now. You know, it's a problem solving exercise. Things have changed. When RoboCop came out, I was like, I was either like seven or eight. I can't remember exactly, but, uh, we were hanging out with my dad's buddy and his like 13 year old son and my brother who was like maybe nine and a seven year old went downtown, walked three miles downtown and went and went to go see RoboCop. They're like, sure. Fucking of course, like go watch this guy's dick get blown off and watch this guy get <laughs> machine gunned by an, a- by a giant robot. You know, yeah. it's like, it was important, you know, it's important for kids. It was to, great like, stuff. Get that, you know, formative images. And my kid, my kid, my kid's almost that age now. And she, the, the only stuff she's watched is like, you know, the fucking CGI Muppet babies and stuff. It's like, I'm totally blowing it. <laughs> but over to here. be fair, the CGI Muppet babies is rated R. So it is expand mind expanding which is which is super weird i was super <laughs> surprised that they kind of went that direction but yeah. you know well you know breathe, breathe new breathe some new life into the franchise they're pushing for that for that nc-17 it's a gun they're trying to get some jim some henson's press to- great great grandson actually took over uh the henson name so like the gen z right. is actually pushing like you know um it's just it's just they're keeping it in the family but they're they're mo- moving with the times um, we need an edgy, gritty Muppets reboot, NC-17 type shit, unrated. But yeah, we've talked we've talked a lot about design. I was going to ask because you, I, I've talked before to many, um, many memers. I'm like, you know, friends with a lot of people in the community have been doing it for a while. And I feel like your name, like when people talk about like people that are the best artists in it, like, you know, highbrow, lowbrow, funny, not funny, but like the best digital art. I feel like you and Jensen, Corey and the Abyss always come up as like the top two, like premier, like visual, like, you know, you guys have the jokes too, so it doesn't matter. But like the execution of the art is always like next level. And I feel like most people that I follow that I like over the years that have come into their own and got their own followings always cite you two as like the top inspirations for like, you know, it's like the Beatles versus the beach boys, like stepping it up to the next Mm. level. Like, you know, Oh, (laughs) they just dropped this meme. I gotta, I gotta do my best to like match it or like be as good and like, you know, inspiring people. So I wanted to ask about like your history of like education in design. Cause I feel like, I either read or somebody was telling me recently that they had seen you post somewhere about how you didn't really have formal design training or digital design training and you kind of just like worked it all out. So I'm curious about that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the themes of the show too, is there's an episode today's a great day to drop out of art and design school. I mean, I don't know <laughs> that from firsthand experience cause I never dropped out, but, um, I, uh, I kind of decided when I was 15, I was thinking about applying to starting to look into applying to art schools and shit. And I just had this revelation that I just wasn't going to do that. I was just going to, you know, be an artist and work a shitty job for the rest of my life. I decided to completely sever myself from my livelihood and, and, and my art. I, I wanted to keep those as separate things forever. 
at 15. It was just like, I just realized that's the way I wanted to head. So that's what I did. And like, as far as like computer art goes, I mean, before I ever got a computer, like, you know, when I was, my first memories are copying shit out of Mad Magazine, which totally warped my shit in the best way, <laughs> even though I didn't realize it was happening at the Forged time. Forged in fire. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, it was like, I think about Mad Magazine all the time even still it's just a huge part of who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. But, but I mean, um, you know, so it started with drawing and then when I got my first compact Rosario, like when I graduated from high school and I got my first apartment, started fucking around on there, making flash cartoons and stuff like that. And, you know, and then there's been before it's, I just, I just been always going from one thing to the next. And, um, but always kind of dicking around with Photoshop and illustrator, just, because I found it interesting and fun. Mm-hmm. And I, and yeah, there was like a period before I, before I was making memes, I was actually like making these really weird little video game projects. Like me and my, my cousin's husband would go to these game jams and do that sort of shit. And that's what I was doing. And those, those projects were always like really in depth. And uh, before that it was music and those things take a long time to put together. And then when my first kid was born, um, I just didn't have any time for those sort of larger projects anymore and started kind of getting inspired by pages that I was seeing on Facebook. Like, you know, I think you guys recently had Clyde on, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. So like, uh, you know, I started seeing the stuff he was putting out and, um, and so, and, and some other pages and got inspired by it. And so that's really like, I didn't, I, I, and, and, you know, I worked in print, so I learned from those old timers and had an interest in art and design, but it wasn't really till I started memeing that I started to take design seriously and see it as like a, uh, artistic outlet. Um, so yeah, it's like when you're jumping around from decade to decade and design, d- design style to design style every day and always trying something you don't know how to do, you're going to learn really fucking quick, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, I think that that's the trick is being really stoked on like trying something you don't know how to do and trying to figure it out. And once you have those like basics in there, you're like, well, you could go this way. You could, you could do it this way. I think I'm going to try it that way. And then you just see it through. So what I've realized is that's kind of like the key to life, like the secret, like as long as you're interested in like evolving with the times and learning the new shit, like you never, like age is fucking stupid. As long as you are like naturally interested in like growing with the world, like you're always going to be intrigued because there's always going to be new shit. People that are like, you know, I mean, people find their thing. Like, you know, there are those accounts that make like MS paint memes that like blow up and it's like, they never grew out of MS paint. It's their thing. They stayed with it their whole life and they got really good at it, which is cool. But I feel like, you know, you have to be ready to change with the times or you risk, you know, falling behind and never, you know, like I feel like those MS Paint pages are cool and I found them, but they're still relatively niche. And I feel like it limits their circle to people that are familiar with MS Paint. So like any kids today, it's like, you know, they might like it for the nostalgic purposes, but it's not going to reach as many people as if you're able to be like, oh, the next thing that everyone's doing is like 3D animation. Like, I could do that. Like, let me figure out how to do that. And you, you like teach yourself over a year and then you start making it. And after like another year, you're like really fucking good at it, you know? 
Yeah, that's like the that's kind of the nature of staying on that steep part of the learning curve is the steep parts like that first year, two years. And then the, after that's like the, the mastery, you know, like after that's that last 5% to like where you're still improving and you're still learning, but it's, it's not, there's nothing like when you first try something new, that's kind of what this show was. I mean, when I first started writing that, I, I, I didn't know anything about any of this shit. I had, I had never done like long form content. I'd never written a script. I'd never performed in front of a camera to this extent before, other than just like little bits that I needed to here and there. This whole process, and that, and now I'm in this thing of promotion, which I'm fucking terrible at, you know. <laughs> but I'm gonna I'm gonna try to figure it out and learn it because I get really ex- excited, like my kids do when they're learning something new, and I and like it's like all of a sudden there's this thing that they're excited about. Like I still have that in me too of like. This, you know, like it's really all, all of these things were terrifying to make this show. I mean, uh, dropping some of my relative anonymity by putting my fucking face sure. in it is terrifying. Um, I never, ever had any ambitions to be like in front of a camera or anything, but to make this project that I kind of needed to make, I had to take that step. Mm-hmm. You know, I had to learn about, audio engineering. I had to learn about camera operation there. There's just, and, and there were 20 times along the way that I completely fucked it up and I broke the project and I had to put it back together. (laughs) So it's all been terrifying and stressful, but like it makes you feel alive to do that. Sure. You know, and, um, and, and that's kind of like how I've learned how to do Photoshop and design too, is cause it, there, it's not so fun for me to do the stuff I already know how to do. It's fun for me to do the stuff that I have no fucking clue how to do. Cause then you get scared and that's like the weirdest thrilling feeling you can have is just like fucking you're jumped out of a plane and I want to be, and what's going to happen. <laughs> I want to give big shouts. I saw in the credits, like, uh, Andrew Shuda did some work. Like he's the homie. Yeah. He, he, he lives in Tucson. He's a great dude. Um, he, he shot the, uh, he shot the the on location shot at the video shop, which I couldn't I couldn't do that on my own, so I needed to rope him into it. So he um he years ago I met him in Bushwick. He lived a couple streets down from me, and uh, he made me like very sick vegan tacos at his apartment. So he's definitely like a real one, you know, not just some. Oh hell yeah! Like you know, we'll invite you over and cook you a home cooked meal. You know what I mean? Yeah, Andrew. Andrew actually like when he first moved from Tucson to New York, um, he actually had this green screen set up that he was going to put in storage. And he was like, I'm going to come drop this off for w- with you. And so that kind of is what got a lot of this going for me of like all, of the possibility of maybe taking the leap of doing some in, in front of the camera shit. So thanks Andrew. And uh, I mean that both sincerely and also like, what the fuck have you done to me kind of <laughs> perspective. But. Well, I also wanted to say that like, I feel like you have a really good reputation in the meme community as like, you know, being a real one also like shouting at the homies. And I did notice in the show what that you sent, you know, you had like, like, built in like bits of like digital breakdowns with like uh, with like computer uh wi-fi falling out and then you kind of use that to like put in little advertisements for like your homies like we mentioned Clyde earlier you give big shouts to like 
real heads that you've been like fucking with that gave you inspiration like back in the Facebook days? Because I know Cornfan420 was one of the, you know, Cornfan, Lettuce Dog, oh, like one of the OG Facebook, like, you know, there's a circle like of where this all originated from and being a fan of memes and like part of the history since like 2016 Facebook memes to Instagram now. It's like we, people that have seen it recognize the real heads and like, I think it's so sick that like you're using your platform and your show to take little moments and give shouts to people that inspired and like helped you along the way. Like so selfless and like really honestly, very cool of you to do because, you know, we all try to support. It's like I invited you onto the pod because one, we wanted to talk to you because of what you do is awesome. But also you have a show coming out. I was like, dude, I want a place where people can go and like hype up the show and gas up the show. And like, you're doing it for your friends, like within your own like content. And I think that's like brilliant and really, really like cool, you know? Uh, It was the hardest part of the whole project was figuring out how many slots I had to fit that into and who I would include in it. So I have to make more of these because I have to have more creators featured. And I, I, I think if I have one regret looking back, it's that I didn't expand that into like an interview segment. I just had so much on my plate that this was something that I could do. Um, and, you know, to be honest, I haven't, I haven't really been as good at shouting people out on my, on my platform as I could be, because I really have this, I have this attitude about this stuff of, I, I really, I really appreciate and love my community, but I, 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 I juggle that with, um, I try to get in and out as much as quick as possible. Cause I have two kids and I have a wife and like, I don't want them to grow up with phone dad, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, mm. so like, since I had this opportunity to include them in a bigger project, I, I, I of course wanted to take it, but I, I also constantly kicking myself in the ass for, not being as good about blowing other people up. Oh, did you? Cause I guess, I guess part of me is just still surprised that I have a large follow as large a following as I have. Um, because it's, that's never really been my goal. So like, I don't know. You do great, dude. I see like, I saw you do like a birthday shout out for gin. Like you do the shout outs. Like I see the rounds, man, you're doing, you're doing your, your part, you know, not everyone's going to be online 24 seven. And typically the people that are, are not, the ones that are playing the game, right. They're just like addicted and it's like, you know? Yeah. And, and I always, I always advise creators too. It's like, you know, like there's a, there's something to be said about whatever you're doing. That's not focused on doing your best work as a distraction from doing your best work. Like there's something to be said about just keeping your head down and just focusing on that too. Like if that's, if that's your priority, you know, like for me, like that's, that's where my interest lies is like making as good of stuff as I can that I can look back on and be proud of. But you know, everybody has different priorities, but I I have definitely advised a few folks along the way that were getting caught up in some sort of online shit. It's like, Hey, you're really good at what you do. You should concentrate on that. You know, Mm -hmm. like, absolutely. Well, I feel like people that get big and their work is good, but they're not ready to get big because this shit happens sometimes very quickly. Or like, you know, you make friends with somebody and they like you don't even ask, but like they shout you out and you blow up or something. And then I feel like a lot of those people, they're definitely, 
you know, I feel like it happens a lot with like people ages like 18 to 25 where they're just not ready for that type of exposure. And they either like exploit the power that they have, like, you know, unconsciously because they're not mentally prepared for that. Like who would be at like 22 to have like, you know, 500,000 followers or even like 60,000 followers. And then you get like the million story posts in a row, just like talking to the camera. And it's like, you know, that's literally like whether people know it or not, they're just addicted to the attention at that point. You know, they're, they're not even aware that they're like oversharing or like maybe giving away too much and spending time presenting their personal side instead of just showing the art. But I guess it depends on what your account's about and, like, how you... Because, you know, some memers, like, put themselves in all the memes. You know, it really depends on, like, what type of thing you're trying to build, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And it, and and I enjoy uh, work made by all sorts of different creators, people that are creator-forward, people that are art-forward. You know, I'm not trying to say anything about anybody else's shit. I'm just saying, for me, it's like, um, it, you know, like that's, that's, that's what I'm interested in is like trying to, uh, I don't know, just make, make, make as good of stuff as I can. Um, but yeah, yeah. And, but you know, I, I, I totally get it too. Like for young kids, all that sort of attention could be a hell of a thing, you know, and who's ready um, for that little, you know, even I'm like, I'm 32. It's like, I don't know if I blew up, like, you know, I have like a moderate meme account. I consider myself like a middle tier, you know, I've been around. I feel like I know people in the community. I'm more like, you know, old heads who have been around, like kind of fuck with me or know who I am, but I haven't blown up. But I, I can imagine like having to check myself often. If like tomorrow I woke up and I had like 650 K, I would be like, damn, what I put out in the world about me, I need to like think about this. Cause that shit can also we cancel disappear. you quick dog. It could also just, dis- yeah. Well, I always say, I'm like, <laughs> Give if, it like a week. If, if I ever get you really famous, you're getting canceled, dude. dude. If I ever get really <laughs> famous, all the dirt. If, it's over. if I ever get really famous, like really, really famous, like mainstream famous, this podcast will 100% sink my career. Like some random, <laughs> some random clip from this will 100% like ruin me, which is fine. As long as, uh, it's some. As That's long making as the, the that, podcast sound way juicier than it actually is. Jeff. Well, people That's are going to have to dip into the back catalog. It's, I guess and start it's good. It's a good clips. way to get listens. People are. Yeah, it's like a. It's like a yeah. treasure hunt. This is a strategic. A, this is a marketing thing, Aaron. Please don't don't reveal too much. Um, yeah, you know, playing forty chess, man. Yeah. Dude, I'm fucking. The only I'm way trying before it goes back to two D. You know what I mean? <laughs> only way you'll find out the Jeff Cancel material is if you listen to every episode. And then you get a friend to listen to every episode. Yeah, and, and that does get a friend. It does involve it's got subscribing to the out. Patreon just so you can listen uh-huh. to every. It's the only episode. way it's the true. FDA is going to approve you can it with this out. type of testing. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's going to take years mm-hmm. to know the uh, the long term effects of what I've said on this podcast. But um, I don't know. I, I was also going to say uh, we we talked about Mad Magazine for a second, and I know that you've actually like you're a lifelong fan and it's inspired you heavily, but you did like some work with them. Like that must've been a fucking dream come true. I can imagine. Yeah. That's really the only dream I've ever had in my life, to be honest, like that I can really, (laughs) I I should set my sights a little uh, higher as far as like lucrative dreams go, but it was, it's, it was the weirdest thing in the world. Like, um, 
it really was a special thing to me growing up between me and my brother and my dad. And, um, yeah, it was a really odd thing that happened through memes. I actually did a, a riff on a mad magazine where they're pulling off a, a mask and under it is, uh, Karl Marx and memes <laughs> instead of mad. And from that of kind of a relationship started. And then at one point, somebody offered me to do a page in kind of one of their last like new material issues. So like right at the end, I got to kind of slip in there. Dude, did um, uh, Alfred E. Newman just like slid into the DMS? He's like, Oh la- yeah. Laughing my ass off. You need a job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was, it's uh yeah, it was really cool and um, totally unbelievable to me that that actually happened. Um, yeah. And it's weird too. Cause I always, my dream was to get in there through illustration, like being a cartoonist, which is kind of what I really loved being a kid. So to get in there through Photoshop work, which they don't really feature very often, even now it's, it's all just super fucking weird. It's just like, yeah, how does that stuff happen? It doesn't <laughs> happen, but for some reason it happened. Dude. And I mean, when I had that dream, of course I abandoned it a very long time ago, you know, as like an impossibility because they're notoriously hard to get w- to work for too. It's mm-hmm. not like, it's like an invite only kind of crew, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's pretty wild to have been for a brief moment, part of the usual gain of gang of idiots over at mad magazine. <laughs> yeah. I grew yeah. up reading mad and I remember being so pissed. Like I, like my parents would, we'd go to like Barnes and Noble on a Friday night after dinner and just like browse around. And I'd look in the magazines and be like, can I get this one? And I remember being so pissed when like I would go and it would be like the old issue was still there. And I'd have to ask my parents to buy me the cracked magazine. I'd be like, it's our, it'll, Mm. it'll do, you know, it'll (laughs) it'll tide me over. (laughs) I get that. But I was also a huge cracked guy. I liked cracked. Yeah, it was good. I had, I had a fair amount of both. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what, what was going on in your era though. I went, was mad magazine. Did they have ads in it at that, at that point? I w- like real ads. I want to say they did, but I, you know, next time I go to my parents, I have like all my old magazines and shit on the bookshelf. I'll have to go through. Cause you know, I was probably buying them from like, I probably started reading mad magazine in like 94, 95 when I was like six or seven, like picking them out at the store to like, you know, maybe I was like 12 or something like, 2001, 2000, I stopped buying it. So only like a brief period, but you know, it had a big influence on me. Like, I feel like that was where I re that. And like, you know, a couple years later, like Animaniacs came out, like really understanding like parody, like, mm-hmm. par- oh, totally. like parody of things that I was around to understand what was being paired. Like I grew up quoting, like, I remember my, uh, my like close family friends, like there would be like a kid's table at dinner or whatever. And they would be honest and they, they would be like talking about it nostalgically, how I would just like repeat word for word an entire Simpsons episode through dinner, like to everybody yep. <laughs> as a kid, you know, and as an adult or even a couple years later, I got the internet started learning about like, it's like jokes that I thought were hilarious without even getting the reference. It's like you learn the reference you see the commercial or TV show it's parodying and you're like, holy shit, that makes it so much fucking better. And you become obsessive with that. <laughs> you know, I, my work and a lot of meme work relies heavily on parody and, you know, um, like I've done with my work, which you've done with yours and Jacob and a lot of people that put time into like the more graphic designy shit, like to make it as, look as real as possible, just like original national lampoon, 
art when they like blew up in Mad Magazine. It's like the more realistic it is, and then you realize something's off about it, the the funnier it is because it's like professional. You know, it's like professional shitty jokes, like low low brow. <laughs> I just do whisper art now, dude. I just upload my pictures to Whisper. Yeah. If you're going to like criticize like commercial culture, there's no better way to do it than to use the imagery and techniques of consumer culture. You know, it's just like it adds a whole nother level to the to the joke um, and makes it a little more convincing. That subversion of like people are seeing the same thing they think they see every day and then they do a double take because the words of the logo are something different, you know, and you, you do a lot like, you know, you've done like. Joe can't, you've done great parodies. So it's like, you know, very convincing stuff. <laughs> I feel like I did a lot of movie posters and album art um, parodies. I feel like, you know, just the subversion mm-hmm. of seeing something that you've seen a million times and there's a slight difference and you think you see it for a second, then you have to go back and reanalyze it. Just fuck. It's like, you know, it's how you lure people in with the familiar and then turn it, turn it on its head. But uh, speaking of, like, album art and stuff, we're kind of, like, a loosely music-themed pop culture pod. I want to, like, do a little pivot. Like, I know you did the work, the artwork for Corn Fan, for Clyde, Hot Leather's newest album, and you've done a lot of his work. You've done a lot of work with awesome bands and musicians over the years. You've worked with, like, Nothing and AJJ and, you know, a bunch of cool artists. Like, can you talk a bit about, like, your relationship to these musicians and how like some of those things came about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think nothing maybe was the first. Um, and they were just kind of fans of the stuff I was putting out and said, um, do you want to do a music video? Which is pretty wild considering at the time I was making like 10 second looping animations. But, um, (laughs) But yeah, they were super cool. Like that was a really funny experience and kind of terrifying because I had never done something kind of that long form kind of narrative thing. The other part of that project that scared the shit out of me is when I first heard the song, I had like the visuals kind of came to me in my head and I had no idea how I was going to make achieve that. So yeah, that I, whenever I do those projects and, and the show, the show is kind of another case in point of that is, uh, whenever I agree to these things, it's, uh, it's pretty fucking terrifying because I, I agree to do it and I don't know that I can pull it off. And that's a funny feeling, but yeah, working with nothing was great. At the end of that shoot, I wanted to, uh, film them to put them into like these chirogenic chambers in their like seventies space van as they were flying through the, the, through space to fly into the sun and, um, so they, I had the opportunity, they were playing in Phoenix. I'm from Tucson. So I drove up there and filmed them in the green room and they were like at the tail end of their tour, completely fucking worn out. They just looked like they looked exhausted, like, you know, and they were partying. Oh. So, um, it really fit kind of the thing. Um, so yeah, that was a cool experience. And, and everybody I've worked with so far has been really like, given me a lot of freedom to, to figure out what I want to do specifically. Um, uh, yeah. And then AJHA are just their buddies. They live here in Tucson and um, they're like the greatest, the, the microphone that I used in the show is Sean's microphone. Sean's just like um, Sean and Ben are like just the greatest. So um, yeah, they asked me to do that. And do you want to do a song about a guillotine that cuts off all the ruling classes heads? It's like, of course, let's do it as a kid show. And so we did that. And then, um, 
Jeff Rosenstock was rad. Like, uh, he's super rad. And, um, you know, this was like right as COVID was starting. And so we came up with this concept that was like, um, kind of something that we could pull off that would look cool, but everybody's at home, film themselves and shit and, and mix it all together into a thing. Um, yeah, Jeff's, Jeff's, Jeff's super rad. It's, that was a, that was a fun project just going back and forth with him on ideas and stuff. I guess, I guess that's it. I, I'm, I'm working for a music. I do. I, since I'm in the middle of it, I probably shouldn't say anything about it now in case it all falls apart, which is always my fear. <laughs> right. But I'm working with a pretty amazing music artist on some album artwork right now. That awesome. should be pretty fucking sick. Well, so. technically, I mean, I also saw, I was looking at like your website with the companies you've worked for and who you've done stuff for. Technically, Will Smith is a musician and you've done some work with Will Smith. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that shit's crazy. Like his Instagram, like him working with like current young, like visual artists. I feel like he's fucking killing it. Like staying up to date with relevancy. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's been kind of cool. Like it's pretty wild to see the fresh prints post something you've made. Um, <laughs> but, and, um, that, that's where his production company is actually pretty amazing. I've done some other stuff for them too. Um, yeah. And it's good to have kind of ongoing relationships as a freelancer that you can do things more than one time, um, that you can, um, kind of build those relationships, but I've made some pretty funny shit for him actually, uh, that maybe kind of is a little more, you know, we did like a bad boys shit talkers action figure commercial for his feed. That's his stuff tends to be pretty wholesome. So the fact that they let me go a little less, so was, was kind of cool. So you know, bad boys, boys in blue, you can go a little blue. You know what I mean? It's all connected. It's like the, uh, what the Kevin Bacon of comedy, the seven degrees of comedy. You can, uh, bring it back, I guess. <laughs> but, um, yeah, man, I, uh, I was going to say also like that you did some work like lonely Island who is, you know, Andy Samberg. I'm like trying to figure out my, my work through to get through, to get Joanna Newsom on the line. So like always fucking with Andy Samberg, you know what I mean? Um, that shit's cool. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that was, uh, that was brought to me by Mike Diva. Who's like a, a digital creator. That's seriously the hardest working, most talented guy I know. And every once in a while he says, Hey, do you want to get in on this thing we're working on? And so that was just, that was just another instance of working with Mike on something really fucking cool that he gets to do. Yeah. I feel like that dude, Mike, that's how I found, found out that Will Smith was doing like cool, weird digital videos. Like seeing his work was fucking cool. Really interesting stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Everything Mike touches is, is worth checking out. He's got a, he's just fucking, yeah, he's super great. Mike Diva, awesome, very, very cool artist, like love all the shit he does. I was going to say, talking about the release of the show, uh, I know Means TV is awesome and I love what they stand for. And I know exactly why you chose to go with them for producing and doing your show. Can you tell like the listeners out there like a little bit about Means TV and like why working with them has been so fucking sick? Yeah, I, uh, I, I just was super into what they were putting out there. It seemed like they were making my kind of content, which wasn't um, just trying to be kind of a leftist circle jerk, but actually exploring, reaching out to other sorts of people that maybe are 
have frustrations that are totally justifiable, just don't know exactly how to define it. Um, you know, and they, they end up getting roped into the right wing clusterfuck. So like, I just like the stuff that they were making. So, and I never do this, but I, I usually, when I work with people, it's cause they approach me, but I, so I approached them and then just started making, um, memes with them for their feeds and shit. And just over time, the relationship kind of developed really well. And, um, so what means is, is it's a, it's a worker owned streaming media co-op. So I'm a member of the co-op and I'm in that co-op with a bunch of other members. So, you know, once we take care of our operating costs, like at the end of the year, we have, have, we split up what, whatever is kind of, we consider extra, um, but beyond that, the idea is to build something where there is a, uh, you know, we're, we're not beholden to any sort of venture capitalists who are investing in it or advertisers or any of that stuff. Um, and just over time, they really seem to kind of trust my vision and stuff. And when I approached them about the show, prior to approaching them about the show, the, the whole thing started about three years ago as a pitch deck with conversations with a, another comedy production company. Mm. Um, and their response to it was, we really love this. We want to do it. Um, we'll probably have to tone down some of the more, some of the diarrhea stuff. We're going to have to tone, <laughs> going to have to tone down some of the language a little bit. And They're so trying to that, give you a, uh, a, what's it called? What's the, the anti-diarrhea medicine? They were trying, yeah, they were trying to Pepto-Bismol me. They were trying to give me the Emodium mm, on my script. Emodium. That's what I was so, thinking. They're Emodium you. <laughs> so, I mean, I've been, so, so then once I had the relationship with me, it's like the topic came up of what this concept I had was. And, and through this whole process, they've offered me nothing but support and advice as far as like technical aspects go, because they know their shit and I don't. Um, but as far as like, giving me any sort of direction on this should change or this should change. They've really left all that to me. So like what the show is, is a hundred percent what I wanted to make, or I guess I should say, since I didn't know what I was doing, it's not a hundred percent what I wanted to make. Like I know, like, like I know what I'm doing or anything, but what it was, what it, what it ended up becoming um, was I was allowed to do that. However, I saw fit fully under your own control. You're not beholden to anyone else's uh, notes. Yeah. So like, that's kind of, that's what they want to provide to art artists as we continue to grow together. Um, so yeah, it's been nothing but, but rad and it's been really exciting, like talking with them about how we want to market this. And, you know, it is a little weird releasing something like this about memes and meme culture, behind a paywall i mean sure frankly like that that that's not something i feel super comfortable with but the beauty is is that means as a anti-capitalist streaming media co-op that's owned by us we've decided that we're gonna do a sliding scale Mm -hmm. so if people can't pay for it they can still access it and you know that that sliding that sliding scale goes all the way down to zero dollars if people can't afford it does so, that mean does that mean you're not comfortable with us cutting this episode this episode up into like 35 minute episodes and putting them only on our Patreon? <laughs> you, hey, you guys, you guys do what you want with you're you're creating the content. This is, you know, the fine you do what print. You want. I, I, I want to spell it out just, you know, to be full transparency. 
<laughs> but uh, but yeah, so like uh, I, that's why I, that's why I love working with means is because we can do stuff like that. We can, um, you know, subscriptions help us to do things like this, mm-hmm. um, and to do things like their amazing weekly news show, Means Morning News, which, which I was really stoked to do the creative direction on. I was going to say with art and like, you know, even though there's a paywall and it's subscription, the fact that it's like uh, a sliding scale. And if you really do support art and artistic vision, not being compromised by like marketability or like being too offensive or not offensive enough, like purely like artistic vision, then like whatever the pay scale is to have that platform, even if it costs you a little bit of money just to know it exists as someone that loves art, it's like, it's well worth it. You probably pay more for like your daily coffee every day than you would pay for like the subscription to support art and like have it not be fucked with by like some executives or some fucking. And I think, I think means subscribers understand that they understand that we're trying to build something, a different model for uh, legitimate streaming media um, that speaks to our values and our interests, you know, much more than any sort of corporate run fucking, um, you know, prop for, for profit generation only sort of entity. So um, yeah, it's been really rad and I'm super proud to put it out under them. And I hope that it helps to grow the platform and to, to grow the co-op. And I'm honestly just super grateful to each individual co-member of the co-op that kind of, Cause they, the co-op is what helped me to make this thing a reality, you mm-hmm. know? Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been super cool. And I'm, I'm, I'm super happy to have that ongoing relationship with them. So That's yeah, awesome. man, I mean, I love everything you do for them. Like I found them through you and, you know, I really fuck with that vision because as someone that's like super conflicted with like an anti-capitalist ideology, but trying to survive in society, I'm like glad to see that like, you know, the path that I would like to go in my career doesn't have to be like built around catering to like a box that I have to fit into in order to be successful in the artistic world. And like, you know, being like the age I'm at and like seeing things like means pop up and be around for a couple years and like grow, it's like, damn, by the time I'm like at an age where I like want to have like something concrete in my career based around something I enjoy doing. I know in like 10 years, there's going to be a market for that type of shit. And it's like very exciting. Um, and keeps me positive about like sticking with being a creative, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'll say a thing or two about being successful in the arts and stuff. Like really, I've been thinking about this a lot, like, um, because, I have this thing going on where I'm generally broke all the time, you know? And I also every day get to wake up and kind of do whatever the fuck I want. And it's like that, that's a pretty good trade off, you know? And if that's the way things always go for me, like that's something I'm super okay with. Like before I started doing this, I've always been okay with that. I, I was fine when I was working at Carl's Jr. I was fine when I was working as a barista. I was fine when I was working at, you know, um, the print shop. And that's because I have art. Like, like that's what makes anything that's, that, you know, and, and then now I have like a, a family and kids, but like, like it's, it's as an artist, you can be successful 
without having any of that outside outside stuff like that is the success is that you feel fulfilled you know like you feel like you're making work that you're proud of then you're a successful artist and none of the rest of it matters it really doesn't you know of course you got to pay your you've got to pay your rent you got to you got to f- put food in your in your stomach you got to you do have to struggle and survive but there is this thing in art this feeling of success that is only defined by you and like it's it's just one of the greatest feelings in the world to know that you're making work that you're proud of well, it's like so. straight up outsider art mentality like you know i'm gonna make this because i have to make it i don't give a fuck if one person hears it if 500 people hear it like if i'm majorly successful or not i'm gonna do it because i have to you know like i have to get it out of me like some like you know daniel johnston or like you know, classic outsider artists that have been doing their thing for like decades that like, you know, have built their own following. And the internet has helped obviously grow that, um, their like accessibility or like people being able to find that shit or like what they would like without it being like mainstream or successful. Like, I feel like a lot of shit that I grew up on artists I found on like, like, musicians I found on like MySpace or like random shit that never blew up. Like I still am like tracking them down and seeing what they're working on just cause like, you know, they made great shit that I found that no one else knows about. And, um, I wish that it was easier for them to like be more seen. So I'm like very hyped on the times and the fact that like people that want to make shit regardless of, profitability or have a place to like crank that shit out. You know, it's very Mm -hmm. important. And all these, and all these fucking tools available to us, you know, it's, it's, it's super crazy that we can sit down and if we have a little by ourselves, a little time, somehow, some way can alone on our own, make a show, you know, like Mm -hmm. without all these excessive, all this accessibility to these tools at a price point, that's not, super prohibitive is really exciting. And like, that's what, when I first got my first compact Presario when I, in 1998, that's what I started to get stoked on about digital art. It's like, Holy shit. I just made a, I made a 32nd cartoon. Mm-hmm. And in the fifties, that would have taken a lot of man hours. And like this, <laughs> mm-hmm. this fucking flash program made it possible to try this out. Yeah. You know? Hanna-Barbera so, would be like crushing you. They would be like, we're going to make sure no one sees this. Um, but yeah, anyway, like to leave off with the show, uh, do you want to, do you have any plugs? Like tell people where they could find the show, tell people where they could find you. Yeah. Uh, I'm on, I'm on the internet as teenage stepdad. It's it's, uh, if you just search that all my shit will come up there. And, um, from there you can find out about the show release on June 9th on means.tv. That's the only place it's going to be. It'll be an exclusive to means. And, um, I'm super stoked. I've put about, about three months of editing, about two months of filming, about one month of writing, about three years of thinking and like a whole lifetime of learning how to do all sorts of disciplines into this show. And, um, I'm pretty excited about it and I hope people get inspired to get out there and try some shit too. So fuck yeah, man. I'm I'm so excited from, from the stuff you've sent me and what I've seen so far with the trailer. It's, I think people are going to love it. It's very, very relatable to anybody that has an internet connection and understands or participates in meme culture or likes to laugh online or 
is interested in like doing their own fucking thing. I think it's like a very, has a great message and does subvert from what people are expecting it to be. And I think it's going to be very successful, man. I love it. And I want to see more of it. Cool. (laughs) Well, thanks guys for letting me start my media blitz here. (laughs) Yes. You're the first stop on the big media tour. Uh, next, exclusive we'll we're billing, yeah we're billing it as debut. as the, as the uh, exclusive the first the first leak you know um first look early access yeah yeah i'll help i'll help you pump it too yeah Sick. i'm gonna i'm gonna text awesome. uh rupert murdoch to see if he could give us a little push for this episode you know we we go way back <laughs> I'll, I'll see what I'll see if uh, Will Smith's busy. I'll see what he's doing. Yeah, let's go. Welcome to Seize the Memes. Let's make some fucking art. Let's make some fucking art. Let's make some fucking art. Welcome to Seize the Memes. Let's make some fucking art. Let's make some fucking art. We're going to make this shit on our phone. Let's make some fucking art. These days, art can just be a picture of Jar Jar Binks that says, Please Gleek in Misa Asshole. Let's make some fucking art. What a time to be alive. Let's make some fucking art. Hey, it's the 90s, and art can be about diarrhea now. Let's make some fucking art. Let's make some fucking art. I've had diarrhea and a boner. Let's make some fucking art. This is Seize the Memes. <laughs>